My first leadership position, if you want to call it that, was when I was in the 10th grade. Um, a friend of mine, my friend Keith and I, we started a car wash business, which was basically him and I, uh, a bucket and some soap that we got out of his garage. And uh, we started knocking door to door, asking people if they wanted their car wash for five bucks. And uh, this one guy said yes. He had, a, he had I remember, I'll, I'll never forget, he had this black truck. And so uh, he said, yeah, I want you... Um, you know, wash my truck. We washed his truck, did a good job, and then he paid us the five bucks, which of course we split. Uh, it's not a very good uh, financial model. And, uh, but what happened is, is that he said, hey, you guys seem kind of entrepreneurial. I'm looking for someone to, uh, I'm looking for some guys for my landscaping company. Uh, do you guys want a job? And I said, yeah. So anyway, um, we both, he said, well, meet me here at, at this spot. It was like at the 7-Eleven or whatever. I want you to meet me here um, at 7 a.m. tomorrow morning and uh, we'll get started. Well, that night uh, I'm talking, you know, the night before I'm going to start the job, I'm talking to my friend Drew. And uh, he mentions to me, man, I can't believe that happened. I really need to find a job. So I said, you know, are you willing to work hard? And he said, yeah. And I said, are you, would you go beyond uh, uh, what's expected of you? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, you know what? Then I'm hiring you for the landscaping company. And uh, I want you to meet me at 7 a.m. at this, you know, this 7-Eleven. And he says, oh, can you do that? And I said, listen, you want the job or not? And he said, yes, I do want the job. And uh, uh, so anyway, he shows up, uh, you know, 7 a.m., the, the, my new boss shows up. And, uh, and he says, he sees three of us. And he says, hold on, didn't I just hire two of you? And, uh, and I said to the guy that owned the guy, I said, don't worry, he's with me. I hired him last night. And, uh, and the boss said, okay, let's go, which is kind of a weird thing. And what it learned, happened later was that he actually took what he was going to pay the two of us, and he split it into three. So anyway, it didn't work out. Um, now, here's the thing, and this is the, the reason I tell you this, is because uh, at an early age, I learned something about leadership, even when I was just in high school, and that leadership is about influence. It's about leveraging the influence that you have for the sake of other people. A lot of people don't understand this concept of leadership, this con concept of influence. They think that it's about getting other people to do things for you, when in fact it's just the opposite. It's about giving a voice to those who don't have a voice. Now you might think as you're listening to just this open and say, oh, Pastor Bob, this message is not for me because I'm not a leader. But see, I would ask you to rethink that. Are you sure? Because I believe that everyone is a leader in some area of life. Everyone has influence in some area of life. You may not have the title of leader, but there's people that you're leading. If you're a parent, you're leading children. If you're a husband, then you're leading a family. If you're a friend to anyone, there are moments that they're going to look to you for some guidance and some leadership. Because at its core, leadership is influence. So if you have influence then with anyone, then there is a measure of leadership. And this is what God desires of us, that we use this influence for his purposes, not for what culture decides, not for what um, they might think is influence or authority. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 14 says it this way, leadership gains authority and respect when the voiceless, uh, are tr uh, voiceless poor are treated fairly. Two weeks ago, we started a series called How to Prepare for the End of the World. And we're working our way verse by verse through First and Second Thessalonians. And we're going to drill down today 
on this, this reality that Jesus is coming back, that he could, uh, he could come back at any moment. We've been talking about that over the last couple of weeks. But we've been talking about this, that if that's really the case, then we need to take the influence that we have and use that influence in leading others to Jesus, leading others to mature in their relationship with Jesus, to see people as they come to know Christ become more like Him. That way. Listen, one of the things that happens with us as well is that we allow ourselves to be influenced by God's Word. We allow God's Spirit to transform our lives. This was the legacy of the Apostle Paul. As we've been talking about in this, uh, in this series, and we talked about it in chapter 1 and again in, in, in chapter 2, Paul, this, this legacy of Paul was these people in Thessalonica. He only had three weeks with them. And yet he taught them so much in these three weeks that, listen, he had influence with them and his desire was for them to become more like the Lord. And, 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 and what happened was, as Paul's life was transformed on the road to Damascus and his life was forever changed, he then made it his mission to preach the gospel to those who had never heard it before. He makes his way to Thessalonica on a second missionary journey. And there, he spends three weeks, plants a church, strengthens believers. And this chapter of 1 Thessalonians, the end of chapter 2 and all chapter 3 that we're going to cover today, we're going to see how Paul was able to be so influential in the lives of those that he encountered. Listen, parents, if I can talk to you for a moment. Listen, if you want influence with your kids, then you've got to pay close attention to what Paul says here. Bosses, if you're a business owner or you've got people that are under your authority in the workplace, listen, if you want influence with them, then pay close attention to what Paul says here. Husbands, if you want to lead your families, listen, here's the deal. You've got to pay attention to what Paul says here. Wives, if you want influence with your husband, you've got to watch what Paul says. Christian, if you want to influence the world, you've got to watch what the Apostle Paul says and what he does. We're going to start in verse 17 of chapter 2, and here's what we read. It says, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, but even I, Paul, time and time again was hindered by Satan. But what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our joy and glory. Now if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things that I want to tell you about influence in our time together. The first is this, is that influence comes out of a concern for others. That's where influence begins. It comes out of a concern for other people. Paul's heart is seen in these verses where he's so concerned about the believers in Thessalonica. Because he didn't get to spend too much time with them. Their time was short. He was ripped away. But he said, man, even though I wasn't there physically, I was with you in heart. I was with you in spirit. And his goal in this letter is to find out how they're doing. So as we read, uh, his desire is so great that he's got to now, he's got to send Timothy to them. He's got to, um, he's got to you know, keep, keep moving these guys and just say, I just want to show you what, what, what happens. In fact, I want you to look at verse 1, and you'll kind of see how this, how this goes. He says this in verse 1 of chapter 3. Therefore, when we could not endure it, we thought it good to be left uh, in Athens alone, and I sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning the faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we were appointed to this, 
For in fact, we told you that we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it has happened, and you know. For this reason, we could no longer endure it. I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. This whole thing is that Paul, the idea is, Paul says, man, we weren't with you for long. We wanted to be there, but then we couldn't. And then we just, man, but we just so wanted to be there. And when we couldn't, I love that he says it a couple times, when we couldn't endure it any longer. I mean, we just could not take it any longer. And what happens? We couldn't take it any longer. And I just had to send Timothy. And I didn't even care about being alone for a while because I just had to find out how it is that you're doing. Now, here's what's interesting to me. It's not just a passing interest that he has in them. Like, boy, I wonder how those guys are doing. Instead, he says, it's more eagerly. He says, more eagerly to see your face with great desire. With great desire. Now, that term great desire has strong emotions attached to it in, in the original language. Now, I know some of you are watching this uh, via, via video, but if I can just, you know, ask this question and you can raise, raise your hand. Uh, how many of you have ever been on a diet, if I can a- ask that? Uh, okay, just about everybody. Um, okay, now, how many of you, the second question, this is actually the more important question, how many of you have ever been on a diet and you go out to dinner with someone who's not on a diet, if I can ask that? Okay, that's even better. Now, you've been on a diet with someone who's not in a diet. Now, how many of you have been on a diet with someone who's not on a diet and uh, they order your favorite dessert and you just have to watch them? Have you ever had that happen to you? Uh, Yeah, that could be like the worst thing ever. And uh, it's horrible because for me, there's nothing worse than sitting across the table from someone eating the Linda's Fudge chocolate from the Cheesecake Factory. and you know what happens when I wa- I'm sitting, uh, if, if I'm on a diet and, and I'm out to dinner with someone who's not on a diet, and even though I'm on a diet and they're not on a diet and I'm watching them eat my favorite dessert at Cheesecake Factory, the Linda's Fudge Cake, because it's not just chocolate, it's chocolate in between the layers of chocolate. And then it's got the chocolate chips on top of the chocolate and the layers of chocolate. And then just to really stick it to you in the end, they put the ganache chocolate right on top which is just awesome. But then I watch someone. You know what happens to me when I'm not eating sweets and I'm watching someone eat that particular? I have great desire. Great desire. Great desire to kill them and also great desire to eat their dessert. Uh, Now, this is the thing that Paul says when he says great desire, it's this Greek word epithumia. That's the word in the original language, which here's the weird part of this word. When he says, I had a great desire to see you. That term, great, that term epithemia, great desire, is translated in other places as the word lust. This is the, Paul's desire to see how these believers were doing was as powerful as the desire that is associated with lust. Except Paul's desire was just as strong, except it was for their good. It was for their benefit. It was for him to know how they were doing and if they were progressing and growing in the Lord. And this is why the believers in Thessalonica listened to Paul. This is why they received his words. They know that he cared for them. This is why you'll listen to the hard truths of those that you know. Those that you know that care for you the most. Because their actions are proven in how much they care. You know, it's, it's an interesting thing to me. Um, when a friend loses a loved one, it's interesting to watch how people react. 
when, um, like some people just want to help. You know, it's almost 10 years ago that Carrie's mom uh, went to be with the Lord. And when Carrie's mom died, um, some girls from the church came over and their goal was, they, they said, well, we want to come over. Okay, for what? Well, we want to come over and clean your house. Um, now, my wife does a pretty good job cleaning our house. And, and, you know, I do a pretty good job dirtying our house, but she does a pretty good job cleaning our house. And, um, but our house wasn't dirty. But you'd think by the amount of girls that came over to our house and the amount of firepower that they brought to clean our house, you would have thought that a hurricane had hit our house. But see, some people, when something happens to someone you care about, they just want to do something. And some people don't know what to do, so they just want to do something. And there's other people who don't know what to do, and they just stay away. I, same thing when Carrie's mom passed away. Um, uh, one of my closest friends, I mean, I didn't hear from him for like six months. And then I finally saw him, and it was kind of a random thing. And, and I saw him, and he said, man, I'm so sorry. I just didn't know what to say. Um, and, 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 you know... If I can just tell you, when something tragic happens in somebody's life, you don't have to be the world's greatest counselor. You don't have to know everything to say about what happened. Here, here's what I would, just be there. Just be there. Because that will speak louder than anything else. The ancient Hebrews have this custom that's called sitting Shiva. It, it, it's even to this day. Shiva is a uh, derivative of the word seven in Hebrew. And so when, when, something, when, when a close friend would lose a loved one, uh, or something tragic would happen, they would just get together. His closest friends would get together and they would just sit and weep together. For seven days, no words were spoken. In the life of Job, this is what happened. I'll read it to you in Job 2. It's in your outline. It says, When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names were Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the shoe height. Apparently he was a short guy. Shoe height. Anyway, forget it. Um, and Zophar, the, the Namathite. And when they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. And wailing loudly, they tore their clothes and threw dust on their, into the air over their heads to show their grief. And they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. And no one said a word to Job. For they saw that his suffering was too great for words. Here's the point. If you want to have influence with someone and see someone's life change, you've got to have a desire, a great desire that moves you to do something. It's, it's the way that you show the depth of your love. But listen, once they get it, listen, they understand the depth of your love, they will embrace the influence that you want to bring into their lives. Well, look at what happens next in verse 6 of First uh, Thessalonians 3, here's what Paul says. He says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith in love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you, therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we receive for your sake before the Lord night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your faith and perfect what is lacking 
in your faith. Now if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second thing that I want to tell you about influence, and that is that influence uh, comes through words of exhortation. It comes through words of exhortation. We influence people by our actions. We influence people by our words. And I want you to notice what Paul says in verse 10. I actually think it's hilarious what Paul says is that he says we give thanks to God for you in verse 9, that we want to rejoice and all that. And then he says, night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and perfect what is lacking uh, in your faith. So basically it's like, I can't wait to see you so that I can help you with your issues. And, uh, and it's like, well, what exactly does that mean? Um, it, you know, because he's looking on, he's saying, I wasn't with you that long. You've, you know, you've got faith, you're excited, but you're kind of messed up in a few areas, and I'm going to fix how messed up you are, is essentially what he's saying to them. Because one of the signs that you really love someone is that you're willing to confront them. Because you can't influence people. This is so huge. You cannot influence and lead people whose approval you need. This happens in parenting. Parents feel like it's more important to be their kid's friend than to be their parent. And if you have grown children, then yeah, that maybe the, the relationship changes. I understand that. And it becomes more uh, of a friendship than it does, you know, more like authoritarian or whatever. But if you have little kids at home, can I just tell you something? Little, your little kids at home, they don't need a friend. They need a parent. My son has this thing that he does that really is the cutest thing in the world is that um, he says this to me. He'll say, Papi, he'll say, I'm Lightning McQueen. And then he'll say to me, and you're Mater, and we're best friends. That, that's the thing. He says that it's, it's so cute. He says it all the time, uh, that we're best friends. And um, now he will call me, Xander will call me Mater uh, all day long. You know, and I'll usually say, good morning, sleeping beauty. Or I'll give him some line from cars. And, uh, but when Xander wants to go to sleep at night, he always finds me because he wants to cuddle up right next to me and fall asleep. And uh, so what I'll say to him, and I said this the other night, I'll say, uh, come on, McQueen, uh, come lay next to me so you can fall asleep. And, and he says, and he goes, no, I'm Xander, you're Poppy. And then he laid next to me and fell asleep. And listen, my son is three years old and he understands this, that being that the best friend thing is fun, But the fundamental relationship that we have is that I'm his dad and that he needs me to be his dad. Because if if I want to influence him to be a man of God, I need to be his dad. If you want to influence your kids to walk with God, then they need you to be their parent. If you want to influence anyone, you can't be afraid of of them disapproving. You have to love them enough that you're willing for them to even be mad at you. By the way, Paul isn't condescending when he says to them, hey, I'm going to perfect the things that are lacking in your faith. In fact, that's what a godly influence does. In the book of James, chapter 1, it's in your outline, in verses 4 and 5, he says, but let patience have its perfect work, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. You see, God wants your faith to not be lacking in any area. And that means that there are tools, people, that that God uses as tools in His hand to see the good things come in your life that He wants to see happen. He uses trials to perfect your faith. He uses divine wisdom to perfect your faith. And He even uses godly people in your life to perfect your faith. Early in my Christian walk, there was this guy by the name of Bill. Bill wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a theologian. Bill was a construction worker. 
And uh, he lived three doors down from me in the townhouse that, that we lived in. And he invited me. Um, he, uh, I had talked to him one day, and I had, he knew that I had become a Christian. I had been a Christian for, um, I don't know, maybe a year or so. And I was growing and, and learning. And uh, he invited me, and he said, hey, um, and he was a leader at the church that I attended. And he said, hey, anytime you have questions about the Bible, just knock on my door. And uh, I said, okay. And so what I did was I, I bought this notebook, and I started um, just writing down questions that I had. And when I got to Leviticus, I had like three pages of questions. You know, you start getting all this weird stuff. You know, Le Leviticus 15, let's talk about bodily discharges. What does that mean? Anyway, uh, so uh, I, it's all this crazy stuff that I had questions about, you know. Um, and so anyway, um, um, I would fill up, whenever I had one full sheet of paper filled up with questions, single spaced, I would knock on his door. And uh, this guy graciously spent hours with me answering every inquiry that I had about the Scriptures. And man, those, you know, evening sessions, and I remember he had, he had three little kids, and um, he'd put his little kids to bed, and his wife uh, would go upstairs, and then um, he and I would just sit uh, at his dining room table, and he would just answer questions that I had about the Bible. And then he'd pull out different books and, uh, you know, like the, these... Uh, Books by Josh McDowell, you know, which came out years ago, like Evidence That Demands a Verdict and More Evidence That Demands a Verdict. I remember um, when we got like kind of to the end of our sessions, he actually um, gave me those books that, that I still have them to this day, th those books um, uh, that he gave me, these books on apologetics and uh, learning how to defend your faith and all that. Um, but listen, it's godly men like Bill who befriended me and mentored me that, were, that are some of the reason that I'm still walking with God to this day. Um, two years ago, I'm teaching at a church. And uh, after the service, there's this line of people, I don't know, 15, 20 people that want to just either just greet me or say hello or whatever. And I get to the end of the line, and there's this guy standing there. He's got like this worker's uniform, construction boots. And um, when he, uh, he comes up to me and... Uh, and he says, uh, hi, Bob, um, do, you, do you remember me? And uh, I, I, I just hugged him, you know, and I said, Bill, not only do I remember you, I don't know where I would be without your investment in my life. You know, and, and, and listen, this guy, Bill, didn't always tell me what I wanted to hear. But here's what he did tell me, the truth. This guy would sit with me for hours and teach me what the Bible says, and it was because he was willing to invest in me that I was open to his influence in my life. And this is true in my life, and it's true in your life as well, because th th that influence is the result of the investments that we make. Let me read you the last couple of verses. This is how Paul closes it. He says this, this prayer for them. He says, Now may, the God, may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that you may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God, before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. And here's the third thing I want to tell you about influence, and that is that influence is revealed through your heart. It's revealed through your heart. I want you to notice something about Paul is that Paul's desire for them isn't simply to do what Paul wants. 
It's like, well, I want to influence you, so you just kind of do what I'm telling you to. No, he's, he's them, influencing them so that they would do what God wants. So that they would do how, that they themselves would be directed by God. When he says that the Lord may direct your way, may our God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. What is he talking about? That is, a, that is lifted right out of the book of Proverbs. Where the Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 3. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Now this is so important for God to direct our path. And how do we have God direct our path? He says, acknowledge God in all your ways and he will direct your path. I mean, how, how does that work? Yeah, it, it, what does it mean by acknowledging God? Acknowledging God is all about knowing God. You see, it's this, um, this Hebrew word yada, Y-A-D-A, that's used over 900 times in the Old Testament. That's, it could really, that, that most of the time is translated to know. And, it could, we, uh, and so, we, instead of acknowledging, we could say, know God in all of your ways. You know how you know God in all of your ways? Do you remember when you were a kid and your friends would ask you to do something and you would say no? And you say, well, why not? And you say, well, because I know my parents. I'm going to ask my parents and they're going to say no. So you wouldn't, you, without even asking your parents, you already knew how they were going to direct you in that situation. Why? It's this word yada. It's you, we're acknowledging them in your ways. And because you acknowledge them, because you knew them, even without asking them, they were directing your life. This is the very thing that God wants to do in your life. The best way to learn how God will work in the present is to know how God has worked in the past. This is why reading the Scriptures is so important. The Bible says this. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then, then, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. Paul says that when we submit ourselves to God, when we get in line with what we know God has, to, has already said, God's will becomes clear. And notice how Paul builds this, that when we allow God to direct our way. Look at what he says in these final verses. God, direct our way, and then that he may increase and abound in you, in love to one another and to, and to all, just as we do to you. So he says this, when you allow God to direct your way, you, you'll see that it causes an increase and abounding to love other people. And this is the thing that I've, that I've learned, is that when I obey God and allow Him to direct my way, my love for God grows because I see all the good that He wants to bring into my life. It's what happens to husbands and wives when they start doing the right things regardless of how they feel. What happens? The feelings begin to follow and love grows. People want to abound when they aren't following God's plan and that's not the way that it works. Listen, most of you know that I love baseball and that I love the Red Sox. Um, now, what some of you don't know, it, if you don't follow baseball, is that the Red Sox are absolutely horrible uh, this year. They fell apart last year at the end, 
And there's all these reports that came out about the players were drinking beer and eating fried chicken uh, in the clubhouse. And then they started playing poorly. And I got so annoyed by this. And I'm thinking, if they don't care enough to play, I'm not going to care enough to watch. And I just stopped watching. I have, you know, my satellite uh, cable or whatever. I have the baseball package, which I'm canceling because I didn't watch one game this year because I was just so disappointed. And, you know, I learned two things about this. One, it's amazing how much you can accomplish when you don't watch baseball. Uh, Because I wrote two books in the last three and a half months, and I doubt I would have if I had been watching a pennant race. Um, The second thing is, is that I don't care as much because I'm not watching. When I first started, you know, like refraining from watching the games because I was mad, I was still really interested. But you know what I found is that love diminishes when there isn't a high investment. And this is the issue. This is why when a person stops attending church, at first it's like, oh, I got to get back, you know, I got to do it. And then after a while, it's like, eh, you know, whatever. Oh, you know, I was following Jesus. That's something that I used to do or, or however it is that they, um, you know, figure it, you know, uh, qualify it or whatnot. But listen, love diminishes when there isn't a high investment. That's why we need to continually invest in our relationship with God. It's how we draw closer to God, and it's how we love God more. It's how a marriage grows. It's how every relationship grows. And this is seen in Paul's last prayer for them. He says this at the end, the last verse. He says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless. This is direct, once again, when when Paul is talking about this, he's actually uh, giving this kind of idea that he talks about in Ephesians 5. So that he may establish your hearts blameless. This whole idea of of blameless is the same word that Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 5, talking about what husbands do for their wives. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 5. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he may present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Same word. Blameless, without blemish. And it's this. It's that a loving husband leads his wife to be more godly. It's what Paul does for this group, this, this church. He's seeking to lead them, preparing them to see their husband, Jesus, face to face. That's why Paul ends the chapter with a reminder that Jesus is coming back. At the end of chapter 2, he says this, What is our hope or crown of rejoicing? Even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming. The end of chapter 3, what does he say? He says that you might be blameless in, in holiness before God our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of His saints. Because in all of the things that he's talking about in this book, it's all wrapped up in the coming of Jesus. The rest of this book that we're going to look at is focusing on the rapture of the church, the return of Jesus, and the question we have to ask ourselves is, are you ready? Are you ready? If Jesus returned tonight, would you be ready? Have you asked Him, invited Him to be your Savior? And if you haven't, then today is the day. Jesus died for you so that you could be reconciled to God, to forgive your past, have hope in the future, but also have peace in the present. Because the Bible says this, that today is the day of salvation. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word. And we thank you that it's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We thank you for your son who came, died for us that we might have life.
We look forward to His coming again. And we ask, God, that every one of us would be prepared for that great and glorious day. In Jesus' name, amen.